ask now that you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel and to chapter 14. Matthew and chapter 14 and verse 13. I'm going to read a very well-known passage. I'm going to hazard a guess that everybody here knows this story and knows it well. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13. And this is the word of God to us today. Now when Jesus heard this, that is the death of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Let's pray together before we consider what God has said to us. Oh Lord God, what we don't have this morning, we pray that you will put it into our hands, that our hearts will be filled, and that we will see you more clearly than we did before we arrived here. That we'll walk out the doors and say, truly the Lord was in this place and we did not know it. That we will leave rejoicing, Indeed, skipping into the rest of the day, knowing that our God is good, our God is kind, and our God is generous. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever been to a party where you are absolutely convinced that the food will not stop coming? That they keep bringing it out, that there's one more course, there's one more thing I've made, there's one more thing I have. I kind of think to myself, like a wedding is that we sit and you have that bit after the service, before you get to the speeches, that long wait in the afternoon, where you just feel yourself becoming emptier and emptier. And then the longer the speeches go on, you find your stomach rumbling and your resentment levels sometimes going through the roof as the best man says, oh, one more time because he can't land the plane of the speech. And so you're thinking to yourself, when is this going to stop? I'm so hungry. And the food comes and it keeps coming. And it keeps coming. You've had your soup. You've had your roast turkey and beef. You've had your dessert. And then comes the cake. You get up afterwards. You bust a few moves on the dance floor. And then what happens is they bring out the tables. And you go, my goodness, what a spread they've got on for us. There's chicken goujons and volivons and chicken goujons and volivons. And nobody's really sure what a volivon is. But they're always there, aren't they? And, and you find yourself at the end going, I am stuffed to the gills. These people have been so generous with how they fed us, and they're so kind. And that's what we're reflecting on today. We're thinking about the people who came into the wilderness to see Jesus with nothing, 
and they left full and satisfied because of his generosity. They gather together and find themselves feasting together. They go into the wilderness and find themselves guests at a party. And they leave with these 12 baskets sitting full as silent testimony to the faithfulness and the generosity of God. This is an incredibly familiar story. If you've even flirted with a church once in your life, you have heard this story. And it is worth recounting because we find it in every single one of the Gospels. Now, the Bible is one of those books that if God repeats himself, you better be paying attention. Because if he's repeating himself, he wants you to listen. And if all four of them have recounted this one miracle then this is something that I think we need to hear. So we need to approach this and pretend we've never heard it before because maybe today God wants to say something new. Because whenever we come into this, there is a context and the context is the death of John the Baptist. And Herod has had a party in a palace and everybody who's good and great in the society has been there and the party has ended on quite the memorable note of the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter and everybody's gone home going, what a way to end a party. And the word of this comes to Jesus and Jesus disappears into the wilderness because the greatest prophet has just been beheaded. The forerunner to the Messiah is gone. Jesus' friend and Jesus' cousin is dead. And Jesus retreats into the wilderness because he is human like you and me. And he feels the death of John keenly and he goes off to grieve and to pray and to be by himself. But if Herod's party ended with a head on a silver platter... Jesus' party ends with everyone saying, I can't believe how much food we had. Where did that food even come from? Isn't it incredible what Jesus did before our very eyes? Because the crowds follow Jesus to his solitary retreat. They go to where he's gone and they want more of Jesus, more of Jesus's teachings, more of Jesus's healings. They're bringing their sick friends and family with them in order to be healed. And when Jesus sees them, his heart doesn't sink within him and go, oh, just give me a minute. I have tried to get away from you. Why are you people following me? Won't you leave me alone? You're unbelievably needy and I can't cope with you anymore. When actually the passage tells us that he looks at them in compassion and he heals the sick he looks at this huddled mass and all their worries and doubts and fears and anxieties and questions and he has compassion on them and he heals them. And this tells us so much about Jesus because whenever in Mark's account he looks out, he sees that the people are harassed like sheep without a shepherd. They are directionless. They've no idea where they're going or where they're coming from, but they are coming to Jesus for something and doesn't sound to us, it shouldn't sound to us like Jesus just had lovely warm sentiments in his heart when we read he had compassion on them. This isn't a Hallmark card opened up going, I'm really sorry or I'm really generous. I just want you to know I'm thinking of you. He's not sending positive thoughts and vibes into the world towards them. It tells us that Jesus feels agony for them, that the pit of his stomach is churning when he looks at them because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. He sees the need that is there. Like a good doctor, he looks out and he diagnoses the problem. They are lost. They are chasing after the wind. It might be like you today. You find yourself running around trying to find something that's going to plug a gap or fill a hole or fix a void in your life. I can tell you that that's certainly everybody in the world. One of my favorite pastimes is people watching you don't get a lot of people watching Dun in Ballygown. You might see a tractor once in a while. Um, so when I come back to Ballymena, I like to go to the town, sit in the fair hill, and people watch. 
because I don't see very many people where I'm from. So, you know, it's kind of like a day out at the zoo in a way. So I get to see people. And I get to see them. And I get to see them moving about. And I think to myself, what are they doing? Where are they going? What's going on in their life? And I'm the, the strangest thought. Maybe you're not like me and you're thinking, goodness, this guy's odd as a bottle of chips. But the idea is that you think they don't know who I am. Nor does it matter to them who I am. They have their own life their own concerns, their own stresses and strains and worries, their griefs and sorrows and burdens to bear, and they are maybe going home skipping and laughing. And you see the man at the florist's a bit nervous because he doesn't want to be seen at the florist and he's buying flowers and you think either he's done something terribly wrong or this guy is a romantic guy and needs a standing ovation from everybody else coming out of the shop. Either you see a woman heavy laden with bags and children in tow and you think, my goodness, what a weight she carries. But this is nothing compared to the dread that I guarantee you that people feel in this world. And they spend their days trying to drown their sorrows with just a little bit more pleasure, just to push the pain off of having to come to terms with the fact that in their heart of hearts, they probably believe that this world is all there is and all there ever will be. The dull ache, however, continues to press upon them that they actually know that God exists, that they know he's real, that he loves them, that he wants them to come home, but they're just pushing him away. And that's where most people are in this world, helpless and trapped in cycles of sin and destruction and unable to set themselves free. We have to look at people who are in this world as harassed by this world, this world that will not let them be for one second of the day on their own without having something to say to them, something to impress upon them, something to form them and conform them into the world's image. They cannot get away from it and they are being crushed by this weight of expectation and therefore we need to see them as helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, completely lost and have compassion on them. Because when Jesus sees these people coming to him with the same fears and worries, he doesn't send them away or roll his eyes or tut lightly. He sits with them at his wilderness retreat. He feeds them, he heals them and he teaches them. In verse 15, though, the disciples get very practical, don't they? They think like you and me, great congregational committee. Lord, these people have no food, and we don't have food, and there is no food, so let's get rid of them. They think very practically. They need to go to a town, Lord. They need to eat, or they will not have anything to eat through the night. Let's send them to the local villages. And Jesus causes the problem. Jesus turns to them and says, oh, no, 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 you feed them. And we would all have the exact same reaction as the disciples. I'm sorry, you what? You want me to do what? Did you not hear us state we have no food? They have no food. We are doing the right thing by sending them on their way. That is the right thing to do here, Lord. And he goes, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat. And this is our response. Are you for real? The surrounding villages are probably not even going to have enough food to feed these people. Could you imagine descending onto Brashean in the middle of the night? I don't think... Uh, Jane's kitchen is closed there now, isn't it? But I don't think even in the heyday, Jane's would have had enough to feed 5,000 people if they had descended upon per Jane in the middle of the night. The surrounding villages are not going to cope. We need to send them away, Jesus. This is what makes sense. And that is often our response to God when he asks something of us. Are you for real? 
You want me to do what? Oh no, you're crazy and I'm crazy because if I'm thinking what you're thinking and then something is very off on this. You ask the impossible, we would say to him. But God might ask the impossible, but he always provides the impossible to make the impossible possible, if you follow what I'm saying and didn't think my sentence was a bit like mission impossible. But he provides the impossible to make the impossible request possible. They come to him, they go, look, we've searched, we've got five loaves and two fish, Lord. That's it. I mean, that would barely feed a small family. And Jesus asks them, look, bring it to me. He takes the bread, he takes the fish, he breaks them, he looks up to heaven, he blesses them and hands them back to the disciples and the disciples go around and hand it out to everybody and all we're told is that everybody is satisfied. Everybody at the end is going, oh no, 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 thank you Peter, I'm full, I'm stuffed, thank you, no, 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 thank you Andrew, I'm full, I'm stuffed, thank you. And the disciples pick up their 12 baskets of leftovers, they've moved as a people from being empty to being filled by the generosity and the compassion of Jesus. You imagine the scenes, The disciples reaching into their basket and every time they reach in they're finding that there is still more in my basket and you see them making eye contact with each other going have you got more in your basket too Uh, this is a little unsettling guys there were five loaves and two fish and here we are feeding three thousand four thousand five thousand people and my basket is still full what is going on here the leftovers are telling us something of the abundant goodness and faithfulness and generosity of God in Jesus. This is what one commentator has to say, is that the disciples saw the size of the need that was before them and the littleness of the human resources that were available. But Jesus saw the size of the need before him and the greatness of God's resources that were in front of him. Jesus was looking at what God can do. The disciples were looking at what man can do. It's not about the little bit that we have, but about the greatness that God provides. But the point of this story is not the miracle in and of itself. On the way here, I don't think there is a sign for Buckna, is there? But there's certainly a Buckna Road sign. Now, if I got to Buckna Road and I had stopped there, we would all be in trouble this morning. Well, I would be in more trouble than you would. Stephen would have killed me. But if I had stood there at the crossroads between Buckna and Carnalbana, then suddenly... I wouldn't be in the right place. I'd be stuck at the sign. I wouldn't be at the reality of Bucknah. We have to get to the place that we're going to. We have to get there. The miracle is the signpost telling you, you need to see something. And the real thing is further on. So what is this miracle pointing us to? It is pointing us to the person of Jesus, that here in the flesh is the compassionate and generous God. Here is the God who stoops down and takes what little we have in our hands and multiplies it out. Here is the God who satisfies you. Here is the God who builds a community here together today and fills you up and meets your needs and gives you what you need. And this is a miracle of multiplication. This is an incredible miracle. Let me tell you another miracle. Every year, as the part of the natural order of things, there is plowing and sowing, watering growth, harvest, milling, begging, and then finally we get to eat. That is the natural order of our world. We get bread on the table from field to food. Slow growth. The land has to be prepared. The seed sown. The crop has to grow. The crop must be harvested, taken to a mill. It must then be sold to the beggar who begs the bread until finally sold onto the customer. The customer gets home and eats the bread. It is a long process from farm to table. 
The fish must be born from eggs, grow to maturity in the sea. Then with patience and skill, the fisherman catches the fish, reels it in, prepares it, cooks it, eats it. It's a long process. Every year these things happen. Every harvest is a miracle. Every harvest is the deliverance of God's promise that there would always be a harvest time. And therefore, whenever the sickle, though I imagine you're not as old school as that, when your combine harvester wrecks through the field and lifts everything up, that's a moment of thanksgiving to God for what he has provided for us. Every year, these normal things go on and on, just as God established it, just as God intended it. He blesses the earth with his goodness and generosity. And at every stage, he has bestowed upon this earth his blessing and generosity that you can dig your hands into the earth today and go, it is black and it is rich, that the horse or, you know, tractor, nice, would be strong enough to pull the plow, that the seed would be there in bags for sowing, that the rain and the sun would come that the ground would neither be scorched nor flooded. All these things are blessings from God. Though we might plow and harvest with greater and grander machinery, all the other factors still lie that without the sunshine and the rain and the seed that is given to us by God, there is nothing that can be put into this earth that would produce what he has given to us. Every year God gives us what we need in order to make bread. But in this miracle, something happens. God short circuits the process. He cuts out a number of steps. There was no seed sown. Nothing had to grow. Nothing was harvested. Nothing was milled. Nothing was baked. He short circuited the whole thing and skipped right to the very end where he produced the food right in front of everyone. He produced the fish in an instant. And notice that with Jesus, there's no magic. He doesn't say alakazam. He doesn't say abracadabra. There is no sleight of hand, no smoke, no mirrors, no incantations, no spells, and no potions. He simply thanks God for what he's given and hands it out to everybody. That's par on a scale that this world could never reckon with. We expect the lights and the smokes and everything else. But par is to not even say a word but to break the bread and hand it out and say, there you go. That's it. No show. No display, no top hat and magic cape. He just does what is there. And as the disciples reach into their bags and they're pulling out food constantly and handing it out to people and looking at each other and thinking, this is super weird. And as they're reaching their hands into what we would describe as Santa's sack and finding more stuff, Mary Poppins' handbag and finding more stuff, this bottomless pit of food that they are coming into, They are finding God short-circuiting the miracle of bread-making and fish-catching right in front of their eyes. Jesus does not upend nature. He does not do weird things. He doesn't turn people into animals. He doesn't perform strange acts. But as the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it, he can do whatever he pleases to produce what he has set in place. Next thing we have to ask is where are they? They are in the wilderness. Where has God fed his people miraculously in the wilderness but in Exodus as they wake up every morning and open their tents and there in the ground is the manna 
and they gather enough for the day and they are filled and they are satisfied with everything that they need. Here is God once again standing in the wilderness, feeding his people with bread, giving them something to eat. God once again satisfying his people, filling his people up when they're empty, generous again, giving them something when they have nothing. And in John's account, as if we could possibly miss the point that is being made, Jesus stands up and says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will, look, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. He connects this bread in the wilderness, which keeps us alive by eating it to himself, the very bread of heaven, who by his death, by giving himself up on the cross for us, he might take us to live with him forever. This miracle looks back to Exodus, but is in an anticipation of the greatest party that we will ever go to in heaven when we're gathered together at the wedding feast of the people of God and the Lamb of God, and we shall eat together and feast together and rejoice together and be full and filled and satisfied in a way that we've never experienced on this earth. Because any one of us that's gone to a wedding party, by the time you get home again, the light from the fridge comes on very quickly, doesn't it? Or maybe it's just me with my ever-expanding waistband. But we eat again. Christmas Day, you go, I'm stuffed. And then someone goes, I've just made a wee turkey sandwich. And you go, what's that, dear? There's more. Oh, no, 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 don't walk past me. Bring the box to celebrations this way. And we eat because we get hungry again. And here is Jesus standing in anticipation of that and saying, I will fill you to the fullest that you will be satisfied forever. So what does this miracle teach us? That our God is compassionate more than we ever dared realize because whatever is in your heart and whatever sorrow you may bear he knows it fully and he wants you to come to him that our God will provide whatever worry and doubt and fear you may have about the future we have a God who provides wonderfully and graciously and has given us brothers and sisters in the church to enable that we are cared for in every way we possibly can that our God will satisfy us that we will not be like the rolling stones who sang, I can't get no satisfaction, but we will find a satisfaction that our hearts and our souls desperately yearn for. And that our God is good more than we could ever imagine, more than we could ever think of, better than you dare believe he could be. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. Maybe today is one of the high church Sundays that you've walked through the door and harvest is the day you come. And maybe we'll not see you again until Christmas. Well, Stephen will talk to you at Christmas, but let me talk to you now. There's a part of the Psalms that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Come and find out. Come and experience. Come and enjoy. Come and find out that he is compassionate. Come and understand that he will provide for what you need. Come and see that he will satisfy your very soul. Come and see and taste and know that the Lord is good. And even better than you could ever possibly imagine him be. <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the compassionate God who meets us in our weakness. The God who provides when we come before you with our hands empty. The God who satisfies the very longing of our souls. And the God who is good, so good that you would come to rescue us when we are anything but good. Lord, we pray that you would be with us today to remind us of your generosity, 
that you would send us away today filled full of the goodness of the gospel and that we will leave here rejoicing in our hearts that we have met with our God and he is more good and more generous than we dare believe. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.